Hello and welcome to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back, the podcast with me, Ewan Petrie. Each week, I'm joined by a guest who tells me all about the places in Scotland that mean the most to them and the memories and stories associated with these particular places. Then we listen to the songs that have become the soundtrack to these wonderful memories. I can't play all the songs in full due to copyright, but I hope that you enjoy the podcast nonetheless. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to it and leave us a rating and a review. You can also find us on social media. For Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia. And for Twitter, search Capture Cali. Please like and share the pages with all your friends and family to help spread the word of Capture Caledonia and to keep up with the latest news. If you would like to support the podcast to help with future episodes, you can now donate on my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Cali. Any amount, no matter how small, really goes a long way. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening to this week's episode. You're listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan Petrie. I'm very excited to welcome actor Ryan Fletcher to the tracks that take us back. Originally from Blantyre in South Lanarkshire, Ryan has carved out an extremely successful career both on stage and on screen. Ryan was part of the original cast of Gregory Burke's hit play, Blackwatch. The play won numerous awards, including the Olivier Award for Best New Play, and it's been all over the world to London, New York, LA, Toronto, and Sydney, just to name a few destinations. A man of many talents, Ryan was also in the original West End cast of the Olivier and Tony Award-winning musical, Once. Alongside an impressive array of stage credits, Ryan is no stranger to the screen. He originally captured the nation's hearts as lovable rogue Vader in Scottish soap River City, and has also appeared in Taggart, Gary Tank Commander, Only an Excuse, Outlander, Shetland, and he is currently starring as Dave Boy in American crime drama television series Pennyworth. Pennyworth is part of the DC universe and follows the early life of Alfred Pennyworth, the future butler to Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. After a hugely successful first season, the second season of Pennyworth premiered in December of last year. Ryan, thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Welcome to Capture Caledonia. Thank you for having me. Um, you, so, you make me sound um, much more exotic than what I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ryan, before we hear about your choices for the tracks that take us back, uh, I'd love to yeah. chat a wee bit about you and, and your career. Sure. You grew up in, in Blantyre in South Lanarkshire. Was yeah. it there during your childhood that your ambitions to become an actor first became apparent? Aye, I think um, it's weird, isn't it? I, I didn't really think of it as a career when I first started, started sort of um, doing it. Um, I think I just enjoyed it. Um, and it was quite an odd thing to choose. I mean, a, a sort of working class background, mum, so. You know, she was a secretary and dad's a welder to trade. So it was quite um it was quite a strange uh thing to choose, I imagine, or I suppose. But um it was just something I really, really enjoyed. And myself and my brother, strangely, both sort of took to it and yeah, started doing it from quite a young age actually. Who was the first one to get involved, you or your brother? <laughs> There's been a debate about that. So <laughs> Our first show we actually did together, it was um, the Apollo Players in Glasgow, which is like an amateur dramatics um, theatre company. 
uh, were holding open auditions for a show called Oliver, which you might have heard of. So my brother, <laughs> I went to the auditions with a friend and my brother was there. And I think my brother must have only been about five or six, maybe. Um, and I went into the audition and then Scott went in as well and got apart. So we both started at the same time, although I was a little bit older. But um, yeah, they gave him, a, they gave him a, a starring role at the age of, I'm sure he was about five or six, yeah. What part were you? So I was just in Fagan's gang and part of the, the workhouse uh, boys. So I didn't have, um, it wasn't my finest moment um, on stage, but I, I just really enjoyed being part of it. And yeah, that was sort of the, the start of things really. From then, really, you you know, you obviously got into it quite heavily and you went to the prestigious Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, which is now known as the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. And then one of your first jobs out of there was Blackwatch. Now, Blackwatch went on to become like a mammoth hit. What are your memories of being a part of that show from, from the beginning and going on this remarkable journey with it? So I left drama school and when I actually did River City first. I joined the cast of River City when I was like, I think I was at a 20 or something for a couple of years. And then I left River City and just at that time, the National Theatre of Scotland was, um, you know, created um, by Vicky Featherstone and Neil Murray and John Tiffany. And I did a show called Wolves in the Walls, which was like a sort of Neil Gaiman uh, musical based on uh, one of his books. Uh, Wheels in the Walls. And from that, uh, John Tiffany was sort of creating this piece called Blackwatch. I didn't know much about it. I just knew that he had auditioned me and I turned up on the first day. And thinking back now, we had no idea what the show was. We knew that we were, it was based in um, stories uh, that were based on real uh, events that happened during the Iraq war. But we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We just it was supposed to just be on for two weeks at the French Festival, um, like any other play that happens at the festival, and then that would be it. Um, but then this mad thing happened where it connected with the world and yeah, we connected with it and it just sort of took on a life of its own from there. And were you contracted initially just for those two weeks and did the contract just sort of keep getting extended with different versions? That's exactly it. So we, I think it was like a five or six week rehearsal process only because the play hadn't really been written. Well, it had been written, but there was a lot of changes made and, you know, we played a bit with structure and, you know, we had um, Stephen Hoggett uh, doing all the movement and everything as well. And just creating all that stuff takes time. Um, I've worked a lot with Frantic Assembly since then as well. So just getting those strings of material just takes a bit longer than rehearsing a sort of conventional play. So, yeah, we were only contracted to do the rehearsals, which was five or six weeks, I think, if I remember rightly, and then a two-week run at the Fringe Festival. And then, you know, there was sort of rumours that it was going to start touring and... I think we, we booked the Scottish tour quite quickly after that. And that was the first place we toured, which I'm quite proud of that we sort of did it at home before we sort of went away and, you know, toured the rest of the world, I imagine. Yeah. I saw it at Harlow Academy in Aberdeen. Would that have been in the first Scottish tour of that? That was the first Scottish tour, yeah. That's okay. mad. We've seen that, yeah. So that was, 
I think that was quite quickly after the festival. If I'm, if I'm, it's so long ago now, I forget. But I'm sure I think that I was, was 15. I think, and I was I was doing standard grade drama, and they took my class to see it. And it was I remember being like, I'd not seen anything like that because in Aberdeen we were used to just seeing like the big touring musicals that came to His Majesty's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, this piece is amazing. And you talked about the movement, like the movement just knocked me for six. Like it was incredible. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You made you just made me feel really, really old by saying that. You know that. How old would you have been when you were doing it? <laughs> uh, I would have been 23, 23, 24, maybe. Amazing. And then you went around the world. Yeah, well, I did, I actually only did, I'm saying only, but I went to um I did the Scottish tour and then we went to we did like a UK tour and then we took it to America. So I got to go to America. We went to, um, yeah, it was billed as Broadway, but we were actually in, a, in Brooklyn in a place called St. Anne's Warehouse, which is like a really cool venue um, just on the river uh, in Brooklyn. It was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it sounds, um, sounds amazing. And actually, back there twice, because I've did a few different sort of variations of that play. Like I've played, I think I've played like three or four characters. <laughs> like drop them out ill and having to go and cover and I came off stage at Oren Moor and Vicky Featherstone was waiting in a taxi outside it was my dad's birthday <laughs> and she had a taxi waiting outside and I finished the play in Oren Moor so it was like half past one and I hadn't done the play for about a year and I was on stage at the SECC that afternoon doing the matinee of Blackwatch as <laughs> uh, the character that I'd played before, uh, Kenzie. So that was a, um, yeah, a mad version of that play. And, you know, you've done lots of other projects over the years as well. And one that you're recently, well, that you're involved with right now is playing playing the role of Dave Boy in Pennyworth, which is just a huge yeah. budget TV show that's part of the Batman universe. How did that opportunity come about? And what, what's it like to be a part of a show on that scale? It's mad. And as, as an actor, you do lots of different self-tapes and auditions and 99.9% of the time you don't hear anything back. So it was just another one of those ones where I did the audition, I sent the tape away and forgot about it. Very strange I should tell you about that audition actually because on the day that I auditioned and self-taped for the part of Dave Boy, Hannah, my partner, was she went into labour while doing the self-tape. So as I was um, recording the self-tape, Hannah, yeah, was starting to give birth, basically, oh. to her son. Wow. So I think the stars aligned that day in terms of being blessed with her son and also being blessed with a really cool opportunity to go and shoot this show. So the timing was just right, and it just sort of happened. I didn't expect it to, but, yeah, I think I was just quite close to the character, and... Um, yeah, it just sort of worked out. And what's the filming experience been like? It's mad. I mean, at first, it was quite overwhelming. I mean, the size of the thing is, like, it's huge. It's like we're shooting in um, Leavesden, which is Warner Brothers um, Studios um, in Watford. So when, when the first couple of times you turn up, you're like, what is, what is going on? It's like big studios and, like, aircraft hangers with lots of different sets and... The cast, the, uh, the cast is huge, the crew is huge, everything's just a bigger scale. However, the work sort of remains the same in terms of approach, you know, deciding what you're going to do on the day with the character. 
the scripts, which are great, um, but everything else sort of remains the same. So you're kind of bubbled where the work doesn't change that much. It's just everything round about you that's a bit more heightened and alive and bigger, as I imagine, I suppose. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I sort of see it. Yeah, I think when you watch it as well, you get that sense. It's like, you know, it feels like Hollywood type, you know, action when when you're watching it. It's quite quite impressive. And, uh, you know, having the having been blessed enough to get the part and then, well, obviously through very hard work as well. And then you get to come back to do another season as well. So is this, does it feel like this is going to be part of your life for, for a while? Well, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. We've, I mean, we've not had the nod for season three yet, but... I just think, I think the show's got even better and stronger in season two. Um, it's just a joy to play, this guy. And, you know, you're, you're talking about the world being big and massive and all these sort of concepts of what Britain is now and where we find ourselves at the moment. And But back to basics, it is about a guy who leaves the army and doesn't really have any prospects and starts to take, you know, decisions to make his life better. So even though you've got this huge world circulating around these central characters, the central characters, it is sort of, it's not kitchen sink drama, but it is about family and friends. And I think as long as you keep playing that, the rest of it sort of takes care of itself, weirdly. Absolutely, yeah, it keeps it, it, keeps it relatable. I could talk to you for, for a long time about, uh, yeah, the various projects you've been involved with, but I think we should move on to your, to your choices for the tracks that take us back. So do you mind uh, telling us a bit about the first place that you've chosen today and why you've chosen it? Yeah, you, you mentioned it earlier. I'm from Blantyre originally, um, and this track reminds me of that place for a couple of reasons. Um, I spent a lot of time there, and uh, my grandfather had a big influence on my life. He was a character. Um, he died a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but this song... Um, reminds me of him and our time together and I think if you knew my grandfather like most people you would probably attach this song or these types of songs to him I was quite fortunate that I got to spend a lot of time with him in Blantyre um, anytime I was home from being away on tour or whatever I would go and we would go and have a pint or go to, back to his maybe after the pub and have a few whiskies into the wee small hours um, <laughs> Yeah, this track, I sort of, is dedicated to him, I suppose. We also, for his 80th birthday, we Scott and I managed to get a, a big band together um, in, the, in the garden, in the local pub, um, the Hulot's Nest in Blantyre. And we put um, a big band together and he got to sort of live out his dream uh, by singing this song and a few others uh, by... Frank Sinatra. So the song that I chose is I've Got You Under My Skin. You're quite musical, Ryan. Does that come from your grandfather? Was he was he musical? <laughs> yeah, he loved it. He just like I think he just did that old school working class get together, let's have a few drinks, a sing song, a wee party. Yeah, it was quite cool. He was he was a cool, cool cat. And is that where you're maybe your inspiration to, you know, I know you play quite a few instruments. Is that where that, that came from? I think there's definitely something in the genes, that's for sure. Um, I don't, my grandfather, I don't think he played any instruments, but he was always up for a sing-song, you know, that sort of old school in the living room. Everyone does their party piece kind of vibe. I remember going to parties when I was young in various different houses. Yeah, there would always be a sing-song. So maybe 
maybe I've not really thought about it, but maybe that's where it sort of took hold from that age. And what was it like growing up in Blantyre? Like, do you have any like strong memories from from your childhood there? I had a great childhood. Um, just always felt safe. Everybody was warm and kind. I mean, I think Blantyre. Um, I wouldn't say it's poverty stricken, but you know, it's a working class old mining village in the outskirts of Glasgow. So I think at one time, um, you know, it was quite, probably quite a vibrant place, but in recent times, I think um, it's went through a bit of hardship, you know, a lot of um, bit of unemployment, and, you know, people trying to get, you know, jobs back, especially in the current situation. Hmm. Um, but no, I had a really wonderful uh, childhood growing up there. I always felt as though it was inclusive and people were always generous and yeah, very kind, yeah. You mentioned that you and your brother Scott got a big band together for your yeah. for your grandfather's 80th birthday. What was that like to watch him belting out this song that we're about to hear? Oh, I was loving it. It was absolutely in his element. It was just a few mates, I think. I don't know how it came about, but we just thought, wouldn't it be brilliant? And then I mate Gary Bennett, who um, I've known for a long, long time, he was sort of heading it up for us and he was singing. Um, with the big band and he was like we should get your papa up to sing a few tunes and he's like, you're right so i sort of gave them a list of tracks that i knew my papa wouldn't be shy in them um, singing and <laughs> this song was a uh, part of the repertoire that they put together for my papa to join the big band the big band on his birthday so i'd sacrifice anything come what might for the sake of having you near in spite of a warning voice that comes in the night and repeats, repeats in my ear. Don't you know, little fool, you never can win. Use your mentality, wake up to reality. But each time that I do, just the thought of you makes me stop before I begin. Cause I've got you. Under my skin. So I think we should move on to your second choice. So do you mind telling us a bit about the next place that you've chosen, Ryan? Aye, so on the west coast of Scotland, um, Hannah and I started going there probably when we first met, like 10 years ago. But we travelled up the west coast. We've done it quite a few times now um, towards sort of Arisag and Malig. Um, Camas Darak Beach. I don't know if you've ever been. Yeah, beautiful. It's like the most idyllic beach you could ever wish to set foot on. Blue sea, white sand. I remember being up there and one, it was like, it was quite early. I think it was like April or May. So it wasn't like, you know, the weather that you would go and sit on a beach, but for, for whatever reason, the beach was absolutely beautiful, idyllic. No one else was on it. I think there was one other couple away down the other side. And Hannah and I had this beach to ourselves. We bought a Prosecco in the sand and we just sat there, shoes off, kitten back. And it was absolutely unreal. It's so, so cool. Yeah, I just remember being up there and thinking, what a beautiful, beautiful country that we live in. Did you travel around Scotland much when you were when you were growing up? Like, were you the kind of family that would holiday to different parts of Scotland, or is it somewhere you've kind of grown to explore as you've grown up yourself? I think it's more about that. I mean, we used to go around a wee bit. Like, I remember we used to go to like Port Seaton and stuff, and somebody must have had like a static caravan or something there. 
um, and we used to sort of holiday within Scotland. As I've gotten older, I've, I think I've got to sort of fall in love with Scotland all over again. And I need to explore more, I think, especially like when we came out of lockdown, I think a lot of people, you know, the staycation sort of vibe, I think. Um, a lot of people start to like venture in Scotland a little bit more than what they, they maybe did before. Um, but we've got a wonderful, wonderful country. People come from all over the world, come and visit our shores and our hills and our glens. And, you know, I think uh, we should all probably take advantage of that a wee bit more. I mean, I live in Glasgow in the south side. You can be on Loch Lomond, you know, you can, you can go there within like 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes in the car or jump in the train. It's like it's right on your doorstep, you know. And I think before, I never really thought about it like that. I always thought it was like a, you know, a bit of a hassle or something to go <laughs> and visit these places. But it's so close. And I think it'll be interesting to explore that with my son as well, you know, and sort of let him see what we've got um, to offer. I was going to ask you that, actually. It was literally on the tip of my tongue there. As a father now, um, do you feel like, yeah, I want to show off this country to my son? Aye. And I think he'll love it as well, that whole like being outside, um, especially because we've been stuck inside for so long recently. <laughs> yeah. He's only, he's only two and a half, so like half of his life's basically been in lockdown. So I think coming out the back of this, it'll be interesting to start exploring again and, you know, can't wait to take him to these beaches and places that Hannah and I have found, these little gems over the years, you know. Yeah, it's funny. It's one thing about doing this podcast during a lockdown is is talking about all these beautiful places in Scotland. And and I'm slowly, well, not slowly, actually very quickly, um, getting a list of places that I'm desperate to go to. And you've just reminded me of the the beauty of Kamastarif Beach. I've been there a few yeah. times and now I'm sitting here desperate to get back up there. <laughs> Wishing to go. Uh, I think it also it's the drive as well. It's not just the location, it's the whole experience of, you know, getting out of the city, I suppose, hitting that west coast and then going up the coast because the views you get when you're driving along are just, like, unreal. It's, like, so, so beautiful. It's funny that you mentioned the drive because I know you know um, James Rocker. I was chatting to him. He did the very first episode of this, and he chose that road, the A82, from Glasgow all the way up. (laughs) There's something quite enchanting about it, though, isn't there? It's like, and you feel as though you're escaping as well. It's like you're on the road and you're just, like, you know what's coming. You know that it's, it still takes your breath away every time. Yeah. And it, it just like, it never relents. It's just like awesome just view after up. awesome <laughs> view. Yeah. yeah, you can see why people come from all over the world to get, a, to get a glimpse of it, you know? Oh, definitely. Now, I presume there's a song that reminds you of these, these travels. Uh, well, when I remember, I think it was the last time that I found this band, um, Around, I think it was a few. It was a few years ago. I got asked to do that compare this night at the Citizens Theatre. Um, why they asked me, I don't know, because I don't know anything about sort of. I didn't know anything about the band basically, so I had no sort of commentary. <laughs> so I kind of Celtic connections. I don't know if it was Celtic. It may have been. I think it was attached to the Celtic Connections um, festival. And the sit, somebody at the sits called and said, "Would you be up for coming along?" just introducing the bands, um, saying a little bit about, so I've done a wee bit of research. The band are called Blue Rose Code. I think well, I spoke to you, you know who they are. You, I love them. You dig them, yeah. So I didn't know anything about them. I didn't realise how big a deal they were. So I was like, oh, the Citizen State, but the Sits was rammed. And I was like, what is going on here? 
So I'm like, oh, and this next band, you know, um, <laughs> you, might, you might know them, you might not. Like, I, I had no idea that they had like such a massive following. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but this band came on and absolutely blew me away. And I was like, who are these guys? Um, so yeah, I think they're a great balance when you're especially driving in Scotland or, you know, you're in holiday in Scotland. I think this band sort of, they're a good soundtrack to sort of complement the, the brilliant views that we have here, you know. I've actually, Blue Rose Code is a band that I've really discovered, I would say, during lockdown, actually. Oh, really? Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so I'm now yeah. looking forward to putting their music on while I'm driving around Scotland and hopefully in the very near future. We actually, after that um, Celtic Connections sort of thing that I, by the way, I was rubbish that night. I totally failed. Like, I had no, <laughs> I was, you know that way when you're in something and you're like totally out your depth? Like, I had no, I didn't really know anything about that sort of folk scene or, you know, I was completely out my depth and I just looked like so ignorant. And I could tell that everybody in the audience was, they were like big fans and I had nothing to say. I was like all over the place. It was an absolute embarrassment. Anyway, um, I feel that. like you're having a moment of like self-reflection right now. <laughs> so tricky, honestly. Anyway, yeah. Well, shall we? Shall we have a listen to? I mean, you could choose, I guess, any number of literally just codes. whack it on and have a listen. The, the songs are great. Would you forgive me? What do you see, Adina? Would you forgive me? Because I will never grow. Never will I grow so old again, I know, no And everywhere I be, everywhere I go I hold your sorrow in my bones And even though I said, even though I swore I'm never coming home again, I know Would you forgive me? What do you say, Adina? Would you forgive me? Time now for your final choice, Ryan. Choice number three. Have you saved the best till last? Well, depends what you classify it as the best, but um, it's a song that you and I have a lot of connections to <laughs> together, actually. Um, we performed... When, when did we do the play that I'm about to talk about? Carmen, Franhill Carmen. What year was that? Was I think it-, it was the summer of 2018, I think. Yeah, or more, um, been a massive part of my uh, career for well, a long, long time. I think I've done over 10, 12, 13 plays there, maybe. I've literally lost count. Um, <laughs> I've been there since its inception, really, its creation. Um, Dave McLennan and Dave Anderson had a great idea to set up, you know, the lunchtime theatre, play a pie and a pint. Um, and I think I was in one of the very, very early, early plays called A Fond Kiss by Anne-Marie de Mambro. But that was like, yeah, well, well early on. Yeah, so since then I've done loads and loads of plays. And it's, yeah, somewhere I hold really close to my heart or more, the ups and the downs of doing live <laughs> theatre in such a mad venue and such a, you know, you only rehearse for like, what, 10 days or something and then your own <laughs> so, um yeah just have a really fond or fond memories of being part of that world for so long 
and obviously like Dave McLennan passed away we've lost David just such a shame um, someone who I really really respected and really got on with nothing better than having a wee glass of wine after the shows with him or, <laughs> yeah it was just a brilliant place to hang out or, or be around and I learned so much from doing plays there you know about timing and you know the audience are right there you, there's no escaping so it's um, although it's intense I think it's a yeah, I think it's a really great place for young actors to go and learn their, their craft, you know? It's just a remarkable idea, isn't it? Like, a yeah. play, a pie, and a pint. Like, when you strip it down to its basics, yeah. it's just genius. Like, the concept is genius. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason why it's, you know, it's known yeah. all over the world now. And you, you think about this, you think about this, a different play every week. <laughs> That in itself is like ridiculous. Like you can, can you imagine the amount of work that has to go in to put on a new play every single week? Totally madness. But and to make it. sure it runs smoothly as well, like exactly. to keep yeah, that machine. It doesn't always run smoothly. But <laughs> that's part of the charm, of it, right? It's like you turn up, you never, you don't know what you're getting half the time. It's like it could. There's so much going on. There's so many plays going on that. You know, you, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. Um, and I think that's what... And, and the, the remarkable thing was David McLennan was always there. Like, what else did he do? <laughs> Devoted his life to, like, making sure this thing just kept on going. Um, but I've had some great memories, like, working there. Another one was um, another play, was Midsummer Night's Dream, where Andy Gray wrote and Well, I didn't write it, it was Shakespeare, but Andy Gray directed it. He's also passed away, but just learned so much from him. Like his comic timing, like him directing you is such a joy because he, you know, you learn so much for these people who have been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah, so true, so true. And you you talk about the 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 venue as well. Like you know, for for people who are listening to this who've never been to Oramore and never been to a play a pie and a pint, you're literally in the basement of a pub. And it's the a Church. This is the weird thing. It's yeah, the an old church. It's literally like it's pretty grim. It's like dark and dingy and dirty, and the smell of pies and gravy and beer. And when you're feeling a bit nervous on the first day, <laughs> that mix of um, you know beer and gravy and pies and nerves is not a very pleasant experience. Yeah, yeah, as the smell drifts through to the changing room that you're all um, put into exactly. at the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Squeezed into like a two by two meter tiny little changing room. Yeah. It's funny because you describe it there and to some people they're probably like, oh, that sounds horrific. But like right now, I would love to be oh there. Oh my God, can you imagine? <laughs> That's These places will be the last places to open because there's like 200 people squeezed into the tiniest little space where sometimes... You don't even have a seat. You've just got to stand like in the aisle or up against the wall or like keeping around a, I don't know, a pillar somewhere to try and get a view of the stage. It's like they used to pack them in. But that was it. That was part of the, the experience. You know, you were there and it's this mad lunchtime event that happens every lunchtime. Sometimes, you know, you just turn up and there'd be like 150, 200 people standing outside in the snow, rain, sleet, waiting to go in and see this 45-minute play. So it was it was remarkable how people, you know, took to it. People were buying season tickets, and still do. So they, they buy their season book to go and see every play of the, the season. 
I think that's a point that's worth emphasizing is just how well attended a play a pie and a pint is. Like it has one of the most loyal audiences that I've ever come across. Definitely. Yeah. There was one guy in particular, remember, who's also passed away. I keep talking about people dying today. I don't know what's going on, but you remember Blackie? Yeah. So he Blackie, I remember way, way back, Blackie went to every single play at Oramore. He's seen every play. I think he maybe missed one. That's amazing. Over- he used to go on every every Monday. He would go see the play or more. You know, I have a, amazing memories of chatting to him immediately after the show on the first day. He always made a real point to come up and talk to you about yeah, the show that you've done. Was it of and putting an arm around you and going, "Yeah, well done." I mean, I'm sure he didn't think it was like really good all the time because <laughs> some, you know, inevitably, if you're turning over that many shows, they're not all going to be five star hits, all right? So, but he was always there and so positive and generous, and it was like. Yeah, I think it was just, it's a really nice play. I always put a big arm around you at the end of the show. I mean, Blackie and Oren Moore and the audiences, just sort of, they were always, it was just a warm feeling you got. Yeah. I think it's a really beautiful quality that Blackie had, actually. You mentioned it there, to find the positives, you know, and to make sure that you you came away from that first day because it is an intimidating, quite scary experience that first day where you're opening the show. And I think a simple yeah. comment of something positive, it just, it goes a long way in that, well, on that day. Oh yeah. Cause you never know. You, you don't know how people are going to react to what you're doing. You know, especially something like, you know, we did, it was Cranhill Carmen, um, Benny Young and Liz Crothers directing. Um, and you never know how, cause it's quite a mad piece, right? <laughs> you're, you're taking an opera, which is world renowned, and you're crushing it and moving it and bending it and placing it in Glasgow. And it's all a bit mental and you're not quite sure. I mean, you're rehearsing it and you're going, that's funny, but you're not quite sure what it is. And it's a bit mad and you're putting it in front of this audience. And then, yeah, well, the reaction was pretty unique to that play. It was really well received, I think. Oh, fact, it was... I think it went, it went again, right? I, I couldn't do it, but you guys... Yeah, we, we did it again pretty much exactly... Well, just over a year later, we did it actually in November time. I think it clashed with the panto that you were doing in Blantyre, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reaction that that play had in Glasgow was incredible. And that was actually the last time when we redid it. It was, yeah, November 2019. So not too long before lockdown came in in, in the March. So that was the last time that I was on stage, actually. It's funny, though. I look back and I hold that that reaction from that week probably more dear to me than I could have ever imagined given what has happened in the last uh, 18 months or so. Um, yeah, well, years since then. But I mean, yeah. oh, more what a place. <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah, that's where. Yeah. It's funny, that's that day, I don't know if you remember because when we first did Carmen, it was like during the heat wave that we experienced that summer, like the weather was roasting. And on the last show, it was like 32 degrees outside and we we were all out in in um the sort of beer garden area or more uh having a few drinks and that was where i asked sophie to to be my girlfriend and three years later we're still going strong <laughs> there you go so or more has a special place in my heart charmed you yeah that's right yeah yeah talk about 32 degrees i remember it being 32 degrees and being in that matador um <laughs> velvet suit stood outside the fire exit waiting to go on sweating before I'd even you know uttered a, a line of dialogue or a yeah 
Don. And I was wearing a Harris Tweed jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were one step. You were one step warmer. <laughs> oh, uh, really uh, fond memories, though. What a what a brilliant a brilliant week that was. Um, so what what song have you chosen? I'm presuming um, it's something from Carmen. Carmen, it's got to be the Matador song. But I don't think it's called the Matador song. I think it's called the Torridor song. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I think you might be right. Yeah, Torridor song. Yeah, it's the one that everybody knows from Carmen. Yeah, you. If you don't know Carmen, you'll definitely recognise this tune, a hundred percent. Yeah, it was the one in rehearsals where I was like, "Oh, this is from Carmen." Yeah, it's weird because I remember Benny and Liz sort of got in touch asking if I'd be interested in uh, being part of it, and I was like, "I know none of the songs." And then they were like, "You do. Go and Google some songs." I was like, "I saw also on YouTube." And and then the song came on. I was like, I was like, yep, sign me up. I'm in. <laughs> I think we should listen to the song now, actually. Um, and 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 I'll have definitely the image in, in my head of us gallivanting around that stage to to these to these wonderful busy numbers. Yeah, can you remember trying to get those moves and songs like on point? It was so tricky to do that and like ten days rehearsals. Oh, so tricky. It's essentially, an opera, a musical, and a play. Trying to deliver that in 10 days was quite extreme. <laughs> uh, it was good fun. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on, chatting to me all about Scotland and, and these memories. Hi. It's been it's been really been really fun to to delve into into your memories and your your stories of these places. I hope it all made sense. Um, I'm not the best at these sort of interviews, but um I wanted to uh, come on and chat to you. I really appreciate it and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this Carmen song now and uh, reminiscing with you. There you go. Listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan Petrie. Thank you so much for listening to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe and to leave us a rating and a review. Please also go on social media and like and share the pages with all your friends and family. A little reminder that on Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia, and on Twitter, search Capture Cali. Go on, like, share, post, comment about it, and help spread the word of Capture Caledonia. If you want to support the podcast, remember you can go on to my Buy Me A Coffee page, www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Cali. Any amount that you can afford to donate to support the podcast will really go a long way and help to ensure that we can keep the podcast going in the future. Thank you so much for your continued support, and I look forward to seeing you next week.